ahead and uh, open up with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are very thankful to be here this evening, and uh, Lord, just to just come around your word and uh, receive the instruction. And as we uh, look at the book of James and we start moving into being hearers of the word and doers, and Lord, I pray that we would understand that principle in our Christian life, that it isn't just about hearing and receiving, but it's about doing something with what we have been given. And Lord, again, I just thank you for this uh, time and opportunity. I pray, Lord, that it would just be pleasing and honoring unto you. And these things I do ask and pray in your son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we get, get uh, to the book of James, and you can start turning there, um, James chapter 1. <clears throat> Up here I have a tote of CDs. Yes, people still use CDs. Um, these are the new, just-released Christmas album for Dale Timmons. So he's recorded all of these songs, um, got them on there, the, the, the piano. Um, so if you need some good Christmas music, which we always do, uh, this is great. Um, you can figure out how to download it to a USB drive so you can plug it into your car, or if you have one of the older ones that still has a CD slot. I don't think any of our cars have CD slots anymore. Wait, no, yours does. So hers still does, but mine doesn't. Um, but, uh, these are, uh, these are, uh, a great opportunity to just get some good godly music into the home and enjoy it. Uh, it's just piano. There's no other accompaniment of, uh, other instruments. So, uh, just, uh, if you want one of these, come up and grab one. If you want two, uh, you're going to have to wait until the second edition comes out. These are first edition. So if you need them signed by the pianist, <laughs> he won't do it. <laughs> so well, the one thing that I know about Dale is he does all of this to just please the Savior. Um, and it's for the glory of God. So that's why he produces these and puts them out. He's had two other um, uh, CDs that he's put out that have been distributed. Um, and it's just, again, it's just some good godly piano music, uh, that you can enjoy, uh, anywhere. So, uh, and they're Christmas, so if you play it in July, you might run into some problems, but you can still play it any time of year. We don't care. So, um, they're gonna be up here, so please make sure, uh, that you grab one of those. There's only about 20 right now, so, um, you know, don't rush me all at once. So. <laughs> Um, book of James, James chapter one, <clears throat> James chapter one, <clears throat> James chapter one, we had uh, kind of left off there, uh, in the middle of the chapter, we were talking, uh, about, um, men being drawn away with their own lust. And that's the major reason why sin begins to enter into a person's life. We have to begin to change what it is that we want and change what it is that we're desiring for. And, uh, you know, he talks about that here. Um, and in verse 14, where he says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. So we, we, we understand that concept that uh, when there's something that's there that we want, it is going to entice us. It is going to be really, if you will, calling out to us, uh, desiring to, um, uh, uh, us to come alongside and engage in it, 
Um, it, it really is going to be something that, if you will, is going to, we're going to look at and see, if you will, that pleasure of sin for a season. Uh, it's only going to be for a short period of time. Uh, now, again, th- that's the problem is when we start looking at things of this earth and of this world and things that we desire, they're, they're, they're often mostly temporal things, um, the things that are going to go away. Now, obviously, when we're desiring something for the glory of the Lord and we're desiring to please him, we're desiring to honor him, we're desiring to praise him, those are type of things that are going to last. You know, we go over there and we see in 1 Corinthians 3, uh, uh, the judgment seat of Christ, where people that have trusted Christ as their Savior are going to be judged on, uh, if you will, kind of their faithfulness uh, with their heart. Uh, how did they do what God asked them to do? Uh, did they do it begrudgingly? Did they do it because they had to? Did they do it um, for vainglory? Did they do it to puff themselves up? Did they do it uh, to make a name for themselves? Those are all things that we have to be very careful of. And those are the things of wood, hay, and stubble. And then we get over there to the gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are things that are last. And, you know, the, the gold and the silver, when it's put into the fire, is refined. It's made better. It pulls out all the impurities. Um, you know, precious stones, they're uh, generally heat and flame resistant because that's kind of how they began in this life. And... Uh, we, we realize that, that, that those type of things are things that are going to last, if you will, for eternity. And those are the things that we're supposed to build on. That's the building materials that we're supposed to, to use. You know, some people, when they go and they start building, if you will, the, the temple that God talks about over in uh, the later part of 1 Corinthians, where he says uh, that the Holy Ghost is dwelling in us in, in, in that temple, uh, the, the question is, is what is that temple built of? I mean, is it, it, does it, does it look like a hobo shack or does it look like something that brings God glory? And we, we have to make sure that what we're doing is doing those things that please and honor God. You go back and you take a look at the intricacy of how everything was done in the craftsmanship of the tabernacle, it wasn't about boasting about the Jews, how great they were. It was boasting about who, who God is and how great he was. That was where he dwelled. He came in that cloud and would hover over that and stay there. That was an important thing for the nation of Israel. The same thing with the temple. Temple wasn't built for the whole purpose of Solomon getting that glory. And it, it, sometimes it just irritates me when people are like, oh, wow, you know, I bet Solomon's temple. It's not Solomon's temple. It's God's. Yeah. Solomon just happened to, if you will, organize the building plan yeah. and put it together. Uh, so, again, you, you see how very careful we have to be with those things. And, again, uh, we find that Solomon, as an example, fell to those lusts. Yeah, he had a problem. He fell to that. And that caused, if you will, a fracture in the country, splitting it apart with his son Rehoboam. So what we find, because because you take a look at Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, instead of coming in and, and being a, a good king and 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 trying to uh, you know give us some tax relief, if you will, to the people, he comes in and does what? He wants to be more powerful than his dad, so he's going to tax them the more. He's going to make their life more miserable. They're going to have less for themselves, but he's going to get more for himself. 
And we see that that's a, it's a very obviously uncharitable response. It's not what the kings were supposed to be doing. They weren't supposed to keep riches unto themselves. They were supposed to be very humble about this. God would be the one that gave them the glory, would give them, give them the, uh, whatever, uh, treasures and things of that nature. But again, people get that all mixed up and they want the, those things for themselves. But here's what happens when that lust is there and we are enticed. And when we go after that lust, here's what happens. He says this in verse uh, 15. But uh, he says, then when lust hath conceived, meaning it's producing something, it bringeth forth sin. Now, obviously, when you, you, you know, you, you look at that parallel there, you're talking about, you know, conceiving, there's a long time between birth and conception. And what we find is, is there's sometime a long period of time where things begin to, uh, if you will, fester and come. And then eventually out comes this horrific, if you will, sinful attitude and behaviors. It brings forth sin, and it says here, in sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So there it is, if you will, growing and gestating, and then it begins to produce more sin in a person's life. It produces that, if you will, violation of God's standards and his word and his commandments, and then it produces what he refers to here as death. Now we know those uh, those verses over there in Romans where it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, praise God for that. But the first part is something that we really have to begin to look at, especially a person that is not saved. We have to understand that there is a second death that awaits them. And nobody should want that for anybody. I don't care how bad the person is. That's not something that, that, that's in our estimation, in our judgment, that we are supposed to be doing. Wishing somebody would go to hell. Because that's actually contrary to God's word, isn't it? Right. What does he say? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's desire. He didn't make a special group of people, as you know, Reformed theology or Calvinists call it, where they go about and, and they're, they're condemned to hell no matter what they do, and God just made them specifically for the purpose of, of burning in hell, God, that's not the way God operates. That's a blasphemous type uh, comment to even begin to make. But what we find here is we find that, that the real reason that sin begins to multiply in our life and sin begins to, 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 to come about is not because of God, but because of us. Because of our double-mindedness. We've got half of our brain on Christ and half of our brain in the world. It doesn't work that way. We're going to be unstable. God says, I want all of you. I want all of your mind. I want you to think about me all the time. Did you ever wonder and look at the armor of God and the intricacy behind it? All of those specific items being placed for specific reasons and what they specifically protect? The helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. 
continually reminding yourself that you are a saint, continually reminding yourself your sins are forgiven, continually reminding yourself that you are ordained unto good works, continually reminding yourself that you need to please God, and continually reminding yourself how much blessings we've already received. That's why, if you will, the helmet of salvation is so important. Because if we just start with the blessing of salvation and thinking about how great that is, that should change your mind on a lot of things. If we're constantly wearing that, we're going to be able to combat the other influences in the world. We're going to be able to keep them at bay. So here we find, as he goes through this double-minded man, as he's talking about those that are rich and they're focusing on the things of the world, he talks about the lusts that they have, the lusts that we have, what the end result is. It creates death. One of the things that you always have to, if you will, when you're you know, counseling somebody and there's a sin problem, you have to show them what the end result of that sin is or what the consequences that have already been experienced are. Sin kills things. Sin kills things. I have watched multiple times employees being hauled out of offices in handcuffs because of theft because of things that they're stealing from the company. It was really bad. There was a couple of times, I mean, it, it really, it, it, it kind of was frightening. There you are, and all of a sudden, next thing you know is you've got loss prevention standing right by you with a police officer who's grabbing a hold of another employee. You're like, what's going on? You're like, no, never mind. I mind my own business. (laughs) I'm going to keep, you know, filling these prescriptions here. I'm not going to, you just do what you're going to do. It happens frequently. More than we ever care to even think about. But you know what that does? These are the same coworkers that you had at the Christmas party. These are the same coworkers that you had good times with and laughed with. These are the same coworkers that you kind of had that good working relationship with. And the next thing you know is that working relationship is toast. There's a death of a relationship. There's a death of a relationship in, you know, when couples are together. When sin is introduced, there will be a death. And again, I almost say, you know, even the smallest, simplest of sins create such a, a, a underlying erosion of the relationship. You know, little lies eventually begin to erode trust. And what happens? Pretty soon the other person doesn't trust that person. There's death, death of trust. Next thing you know is, you know, it becomes bigger issues. It creates, if you will, friction in the relationship. 
if you will, fights, marital uh, conflict ensues. The next thing you know is people start talking the D word, divorce. They're going to separate. They're going to leave. Generally, by the time that that starts being mentioned, it's really difficult because that's usually when they start coming to try to get counseling. And it's like, man, we're, we've got a long road to get through. Long road to get through by the time it gets there. So we have to be very, very careful about that. Sin brings death, even in a Christian's life. Not just his second death, but death of things that, that, that glorify God. It really puts a, 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 a damp, if you will, rag on the relationship between us and Jesus Christ when sin is intervening. Now, praise God, it's not going to separate us from his love. Just like we said, it's just like his great love. Praise God, you know, you, you, you go through that ver, you know, that song. I don't know if you noticed the words there, but some of those words, it's like, man, whoever wrote this was really struggling with some serious clinical depression. He's talking about, I would be better off dead. Well, that's a mindset. But then he realizes how great God's love is, how great the love of Christ is, and he begins to reflect on that, and there's a change. As he talks about, you know, the clouds roll away, that, that if you will, that dark, you know, if you will, darkness in the person's life begins to move away, and the light of Christ shines forth. I tell you, it's an amazing thing when that happens. It's an amazing thing. Realizing that God has always been there, and he still has been right by there, ready just to receive that prodigal son right back. And praise God for it. But here he says, look, you know, when, when sin is doing all of this, it's going to bring forth something. And, and again, this, this, this lust is really going to tempt where your allegiance lies. Does it lie with God or does it lie with something else? Does it lie with Christ or is it somewhere else maybe in this world? And we see here in verse 16 where he comes about and he says, Do not err, my beloved brethren. He makes this very clear. This is where people go wrong. They let the double-mindedness be there far too long. They let the lust, if you will, sit there and grow and gestate for too long of a period of time. So the question comes about, what do we begin to do? Well, in, in verse 17, he says, Every good gift and perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. Of his own will he begat us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now, now here's something that's very important. Here's something that is very important. As he begins talking to these individuals, as he begins writing these things out, he's wanting us to understand, uh, to us and, and, and the recipients of this letter, that even though there is going to be a sin issue that we're going to struggle with, we can choose to have a different mindset and think about the good gifts that God gives us. 
Not think about the worldly things, but think about the good gifts that God gives us on a day-to-day basis. Not just the physical stuff. And if somebody can't come up with and think about the good gifts that God has given them, well, I dare say that they've got a lot of house cleaning to do. They've got a lot to move out of there and begin to think about how great God really truly is and what spiritual gifts they receive. You know how great it is to sit down to the Word of God and just read the Word of God on a daily basis and then God shows you something cool? And you just go, oh, wow. Now, obviously, for a pastor, we run those threads out and, you know, try to make sermons out of them. Not all of them become sermons, though. Some of them are just personal for me. But just to enjoy that, you know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit showing you something from Scripture. That's a good gift. That's a good gift. How about when we're going through trials and then we, we, we get comfort from God, knowing that regardless of what happens, I still am in Christ and he's still in me. End of story. I, I don't have to worry about anything else. Worst case scenario is I pass this life into the next but I'm right there with my Savior. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we understand that. And there's a great comfort that comes about that. The peace that we get from God. And all these things, and he says, and he talks about this, and he talks about the, the Father of lights. Now this is very important because, again, the light that God gives us, as he outlines it in John chapter 1, which is a name for Jesus Christ, light, we see very clearly what that light, <coughs> excuse me, what that light does. I remember when I was showing somebody, uh, I, I'm a big fan of a certain type of flashlight. Um, surefire flashlights, I, I just, you know, they're, they're some of the best flashlights that are out there. Uh, I, that, that was back in the day when they first started coming out and, and, uh, I was so impressed and I was, I, I got one one time and, and man alive, it was great. And, and, uh, I was showing somebody this, I took them into one of the rooms in our house. It was nighttime. Uh, all the shades were, you know, drawn and stuff. And it was really dark in the room. Uh, he took out a little mag light and he was shining it around and he goes, okay. Yeah. And then I took, showed him the, the surefire light and the whole room just like lit up. Like there was a lamp on. And he was, he was just so impressed. He went out and he bought like several of them. <laughs> and, and, and I'll tell you this, you know, it's a, it's an amazing thing when you get to witness what light really does. How you can see things that you never saw before. You ever been trying to read something and then somebody comes on and turns on a light and you're able to read it now? How, how how amazing it is that, you know, you go into a dark place and it's kind of like, eh, but then somebody turns the lights on and it gives you comfort and it gives you a feeling of safety. That's interesting. I mean, most of us would not dare go down right now to downtown Portland and go start walking around back alleys. 
That would be a dumb thing to do. It would be a dumb thing to do even in the daytime. But, <laughs> but I mean, you know, obviously, you know, in the daytime, things are much brighter. <laughs> you, could, you could see the attack coming, you know. Um, but, but again, you, you're, you're able to really truly engage in this fight a lot better in the, in the, you know, in the light. Because of those things that are trying to influence us, he talks about spiritual wickedness. He talks about darkness. Talks about things that are really going to affect us. And, and I'll tell you this, we need that light. We need those good gifts. And this leads right into where he starts talking about the important principles of faith. The important principle of faith in our life and what faith does. Why we need to exhibit faith. How we go about exhibiting faith. And and, and he makes it very clear here where he's talking about, look, and, and he gets right down to it in verse uh, verse 18, of his own will uh, begat he us with the word of truth. Now, Jesus Christ in, in John chapter 17, verse 17, says, thy word is truth. Talking about what God's word is. It's truth. And in today's day and age, we don't have enough truth. As scripture says, truth has fallen in the streets. You turn on a news program, you have no idea whether that's true or not. You got to turn on about three, four, five, six of them to kind of get a general understanding of what you think might be happening. And then you get a hold of some of those really, you know, weird sites and you're like, oh, then you get a hold of the other weird site on the other side and you're like, oh, you still don't know what to believe. You still don't know what to believe. But what do we find? We find that God's word is truth. And this becomes the principle of, of where we're going with this. If there's light and if there's truth, it's going to come from a source, and this source is the Word of God. So how do we begin to deal with this double-mindedness? And we're going to get to this here in just a minute. I want us to turn over to the book of Hebrews while we're right there, uh, book of Hebrews, and take a look at ch- uh, chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13, and in verse uh, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. So this goes right back where he says there's no variableness. In whom there's no variableness. Meaning he isn't going to be double-minded like we are. Do you ever go to the dictionary and look up the word fickle and it has your image in there? And you're like, ooh, it's not good. <laughs> you, you, you begin to realize, uh, you know, how, how easily we're persuaded one way or the other. You know, God's not like that. God isn't like that. He just doesn't just, you know, randomly change his mind. Jesus Christ is always going to be the same. Now, people change. We change. I guarantee you that you are not the same person that you were 
say, let's wind the clock back 25 years. Some of you are like, I wasn't alive yet. <laughs> well, there you go. <clears throat> For us old fogies, we're going to go ahead and go, you know, wind that back. 25 years ago. 25 years ago, I would be 25 years old, just getting married. Man, that would be, it just floors me. Thinking about that. I was having a conversation with somebody today, specifically my massage therapist. And we have weird conversations, okay? And we were talking about, uh, you know, kids kind of growing up too fast. And he was getting all excited that he was, uh, um, that he was actually becoming, if you will, an adult. And, uh, cause he got excited about adult things. He was telling me that in his neighborhood, there was this, uh, a kind of intersection that there was a lot of close calls where people almost hit each other because there's no stop signs on any of the corners. So it's just like a free for all. And, uh, you know, people obviously don't understand the right away, don't understand, you know, when a person's on the right, that's the person that goes first, blah, blah, blah. They, they just don't get that concept. But, you know, they finally, the, the, uh, the county or the city put in stop signs. He got excited about it. He's like, I'm an adult now. I get excited about stop signs. <laughs> I mean, think about it. When you were 25 years old, were you excited about a stop sign? You're probably sitting there thinking, man, can I get through with and, 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 you know, pull some sushi and do a California roll through this thing? You know, uh, it, 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 the, the concepts of how we used to think and what we used to do. I mean, Paul talks about it. He says, you know, when I was a child, I thought as a child, when I became a man, I put away childish things. And I'll tell you this, in the growth of a Christian life, we have to start putting away childish things. And we have to start thinking, if you will, as an adult. We have to start thinking in a very different concept. You know, you, you, you take a look at some of the things that a child has when they're younger. There's a lot of children that, that, that you know, that are told all these things and they believe them without being discernment, discerning and studying and, if you will, trying the spirits. They don't do those things. That's adult stuff, spiritual adult stuff. Well, they believe everything. They believe the tooth fairy. I mean, we have to begin to think about, you know, what people are teaching children. And, and yes, there's the faith of a child when it comes to the things of God. But again, at some point in time, we need to kind of put away some childish things. And if you will discern in our faith, is that truly the word of God? And is that what he's saying to me? And what am I going to obey? Because there's some people that they won't study things out for themselves. They'll just believe anybody that says anything on YouTube. Somebody put a book out and they've got PhD behind their name and they're like, oh yeah, let me sign up for that one. Well, again, we have to look at what God is talking about in scriptures, comparing scripture with scripture. As he says, line upon line, line upon line. 
precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Well, why does he repeat himself? Is he stuttering? No. He's wanting us to understand that you have to study doubly hard to understand what God is trying to show us. We have to put effort in. There is no immediate download of the things of God in our life. We have to engage that. And it takes a mindset that desires those things rather than desiring things of the world to pull us away. How am I going to grow in Christ? What am I going to to do to grow in Christ? And as he's talking about light and truth right here, he talks about the word and we get down into the next passage and he begins to, if you will, start getting to the how to to get rid of this double mind. How, how do I keep a singular purposed mind on God? Well, it starts with one thing is obviously hearing it. The next thing is doing it. Because take a look at what he says here. And we're going to see a couple of passages here. It says, wherefore, in verse 19, wherefore, my beloved brethren, we're back over in James 1, wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man that is beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. He begins to, if you will, introduce the concept of faith right here. Because again, we go over to Hebrews chapter 11 and we see all of those guys heard God's word, but then did something. They obeyed him. And this is the concept that we need to do. If we find ourselves being double-minded, then what we have to do is we have to begin to listen to what God's telling us, and we have to begin to do it. That will begin to remove all of those things, that filthiness and the naughtiness that he talks about, that will begin to move all of those things out. Now, he talks about the superfluity of naughtiness. I'll, I'll just give you, you know, the, the brief definition of what that word means. Uh, it just means unnecessary or an in excess amount. You don't have to be naughty. And some people are abundantly naughty. Now, we use that word, and, and, and today we say that word naughty, and, and you know, it, it kind of has a, if, if you will, this childlike connotation to it. You know, we'll call our dogs, oh, you naughty animal, you know, you naughty dog, whatever it is. But naughtiness is never, never, never in Scripture a good thing. Ever. One of the, uh, um, one of the messages that I first preached when I was a wee bit younger, <laughs> uh, was uh, over there where he was talking about the naughty figs. And everybody kept saying the way I was saying naughty figs, it sounded like I was saying it in a British accent. And, uh, you know, it, 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 again, it, 
kind of lost sight of what the, the message was about, but the idea and the concept is, is that God looked at the nation of Israel and said that they're a bunch of naughty figs. Now, we wouldn't necessarily think of a fig to be naughty, but if a fig is naughty, that means it's not good. You ever bite into some piece of fruit that is not quite what it should be? One of the one of the ones that that I used to just oh man makes me cringe even to think about it is you know you get an orange and you peel the orange and you pull out one of the segments and you put it in your mouth and you expect it to be bursting with juice and you just chew on it and it's good and you bite into it and it's dry. Ugh. You're like, you know, why would I eat something like that? Or, or you're, you're, you're eating your banana and you don't realize there's a big bruise in the center of it and you pull it down and you bite into it. And instead of feeling a bit of resistance, it just kind of like mushes into your mouth. Or, or, or one of those grapes, you peel it off and you put, pop it in your mouth and you expect it to be nice and crisp and you bite into it and you expect it to kind of pop and crack as you chew it and it's so good and the juice and everything. But you bite into it and it just goes in your mouth and you're like... Mm. That, that's the naughtiness of the fruit. God says that what they were producing was naughty figs. If you If you look at it, he's saying that their fruit had become sour. Their fruit had become spoiled. That's what real naughtiness is about. And, 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 and uh, kind of getting a little bit off track here, but he, he goes back and he starts showing, look, you know, lust is going to come about. You're going to have this fight. You're going to have this conflict. The word of God is there to help you with this. And here's how you go about doing it to get rid of those lusts, to get rid of that double mindedness that exists. You have to purpose in your heart that you're going to listen and very much pay attention to the word of God. And you're going to apply it and do it in your life. Because as he says this here, he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And he starts off being very, very careful here about how a person receives something. How a person receives something. We've all met these type of people. Turn over to the book of Proverbs. Let's take a look at a couple of passages. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18 and in verse 13, it says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. What is this guy doing? He's speaking before he hears the whole, the whole, both sides of the story, if you will. He's making his decision based upon one mention. And very clearly here, he hasn't heard the whole thing. He starts listening to it, and then he starts trying to give an answer, and it could be completely, totally wrong, because that could be something that that the subject's not even about. Slow to speak. He says it very clearly. Uh, well, first thing is swift to hear. Swift to hear, meaning we're listening before we're speaking. The first thing that we want to do before we, you know, interject. You ever have a conversation with somebody that always has to interject something all the time? 
they dominate the conversation, they control the conversation, and they're just constantly... No, they need to stop for a moment and they need to be swift to hear. They need to be able to listen to what's going on before they start, in, you know, if you will, engaging in those things. They need to be slow to speak. And I tell you this, being slow to speak is a good thing. Why? Because when we're quick to speak, we often say the wrong thing. So slow to speak is good. Take a look at another passage. Uh, go over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. You know, we want to get a good definition of what these type of individuals are in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Uh, take a look at verse 1. It says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear than to give sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven and thou upon earth. Let, or therefore, let thy words be few. That's wisdom from Solomon. That's wisdom from Solomon. And what is he saying? You know, some people are so eager to, to do something and sacrifice, but it's the wrong sacrifice. He wasn't saying that, it, you know, sacrifice is bad. He's saying it's the sacrifice of fools. Essentially cutting God out of it. And people will say, oh, look at this great sacrifice that I'm making. Maybe God didn't call you to make that sacrifice. Maybe they were a little too hasty in what they thought and what they they begin to see or, or, or hear. And, and he says here, be more ready to hear. Be more ready to hear. That becomes the important part. And he's, he continues on, be not rash with thy mouth. He, he's, and I love this because often, you know, people will say, well, I'm not going to say it out loud, but I'm going to think it in my heart. And if I think it in my heart, it's okay. You know, I can sit there and I can, you know, somebody's doing something and I can be like, <laughs> but in my heart, I'm sitting there thinking, what a idiot. What adult, what a moron. You know, I can, you know, all, all of those things. And I can have, if you will, thoughts towards him. And guess what? God hears those too. And he writes those down too. I don't even want to see those books. Praise God, a lot of it's blotted out. <laughs> amen and amen. I mean, be, he says, let not thy heart be hasty, utter anything before God. And he reminds you, God's in heaven, you're on earth. Let's understand the, if you will, the hierarchy here. God hears it. We utter it, whether it's in our mouth or whether it's in our heart, we have to be careful. You know, sometimes people will make a lot of judgments really quickly based off of something that they think rather than actually waiting to see what's going to actually be true. And that's a problem. That's a huge problem. Now, you know, again, let's go over to the, to the book of Proverbs again, Proverbs chapter 12. 
and, and kind of make this connection here in just a few minutes about what does this have to do with the word of God? What does this have to do with, um, you know, being double-minded? What does this have to do with, you know, the lusts that we're constantly engaging in and, and trying to combat? Well, let's, let's, let's think about this here for a minute. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18. <clears throat> I put my glasses on. I need to take them off. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 18. There is that speaketh like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of a wise is health. So here's what happens. Sometimes what we say really hurts. Really hurts people. And I'll dare say it, it, it sometimes is, is more painful than physical wound. It pierces through. Now, I'm not talking about when, you know, the Holy Spirit convicts. I'm not talking about when you're reading the Word of God and all of a sudden you get pierced by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's showing you something or you're sitting in a service and the Holy Spirit shows you something or, you know, people getting counseling and, and the Holy Spirit shows them something and it's that, oh. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about conviction. I'm talking about purposeful and sometimes done ignorantly words. Words that are spoken in haste. Somebody that speaks way too quick. Way too quick. And what does he describe it as? He describes it as a painful thing. The piercing of a sword. But somebody that is wise and knows exactly how to respond answers not a fool according to his folly, or does it have to answer a fool according to his folly? You know, the discernment that has to be exercised there. All those things that we see about responding righteously, speaking as he talks about over there in the book of Ephesians, truth and love, all of that, that that's going to bring a healthy relationship. The other stuff is death. What he just said happens. And many times it's just because we want to say what we want to say and we, we refuse, we refuse to control our tongues. Which leads into the next part that we, you go into with James, which he starts talking about one of the biggest issues that, that people struggle with. That little member of the tongue and how bad it can be. Take a look at another passage. Take a look at uh, Proverbs chapter 25. Proverbs chapter 25. In Proverbs chapter 25, jump down to verse 11. It says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. What is it? It's valuable. It's valuable. But interestingly enough, you take a look at those two things that we find uh, as far as uh, gold and silver. Um, those are things that are glorifying to God. Gold is, if you will, the things that we do that, that give him honor and glory and praise. You take a look at silver. Silver is used with redemption and specifically words. 
So we start looking at silver, we see how important it's supposed to be in the words being tried, if you will, and, and what we're going to say. Are they going to be silver or are they going to be dross? And he says the word fitly spoken, said at the right time, the right way, with the right tone, in the right manner, with the right specific set of words put together. That means you have to think about it, not just let it fly. We have to be very careful about that. We have to be very, very careful about it. Let's take a look at uh, one more passage here in Proverbs um, let's go to, uh, chapter 26. And it says here in verse four, it says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest thou also be like unto him. He's basically saying, you know, when the fool begins to speak and they start speaking the things of folly and sin, uh, careful how you answer. Otherwise you're going to wind up exactly like him. You're going to say the wrong thing. Somebody calls you an idiot and you look at them and you answer the fool according to the folly and you go, stupid head. <laughs> Shouldn't call people names like that, okay? But the, but the end result is, is what happens is you wind up answering a fool according to his folly. You return the volley. They lay one across the bow, you're going to lay one other one across the bow. And then they decide, well, instead of using the five-inch gun, they're going to start unloading the 16-inchers. The next thing you know is you've got all these, you know, rounds flying back and forth, and it turns into a total mess, and both of the, you know, the people are fools because of how they're engaging. But sometimes, in verse 5, if you look at it, he says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own conceit. Meaning there is a time and a place to respond to the fool to give him counsel and instruction. And many times they don't receive it. But sometimes you can get the fool to listen. Sometimes you can get the fool to listen. And I tell you, that is a tremendous thing to understand that not everybody has to be of that foolish mindset saying there is no God or acting like God doesn't care or acting like God's not concerned about what's going on in their life or anything of that nature. You have an opportunity to engage that person and you have an opportunity to show them and counsel them with the right words fitly spoken that they don't have to be of that foolish mindset. But you know what? You have to look at how you're going to discern those things. It's not a contradiction in Scripture. What it is, is he's teaching us, you got to learn how to judge things. Specifically, judge how you're going to say it, and when you're going to say it, and what you're going to say. Judge that first. Before you start judging the you know another person. That's a principle that God teaches. We look at ourselves first, and then we go forward, and we start looking at, okay, how am I going to respond to this? What am I going to say? Going back over there to, to this, this uh, 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 James chapter 1, verse 19, where he says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Now, again, 
people sometimes are going to make you angry. You ever having somebody make you angry? That happened to anybody? Ever? Yeah, it's like, no, 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 no. No, we, no, we get angry. We get angry. Now, it's not a sin to be angry. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. God gets angry, so we can't just classify all anger as sin. Otherwise, we have Christ sinning over there when he looked on them with anger because of the hardness of their hearts. So we know anger itself is not sin. How we use anger can be sinful. And that's what he's getting at. You know, he talks about the man with the angry spirit and making a friendship with that person. He says, be careful about it. Otherwise, you're going to wind up learning his ways. I'm paraphrasing. The idea and the concept behind that is, is that it's going to have an influence on you. So you have to be careful. But that guy that's angry all the time, angry about everything, angry about everything and angry about nothing, just because he he wants to be angry. He hates the world. He hates himself. He hates everyone in it. And he can't do anything about it. So he's just going to walk around and be angry all the time. That's a guy to avoid. He's not going to edify you. Somebody that's got a foul temper is not somebody that's going to edify you. That's coming directly from a person that's had a foul temper. And it comes out every now and then, and I have to be very careful with that. The only reason it comes out is because of my own lust. It entices me. To use that wrath incorrectly, that anger incorrectly, and I say something stupid or I do something stupid. So we have to be careful. So we have to be very slow to that wrath. Some people get angry at sin and they get so angry at sin that they can never forgive the sinner that committed it. That's wrong, according to Ephesians 4. So we begin to look at how God, you know, is purposely showing us here the the responses that we have in our life, the choices that we get to make, how we respond to something. He says, let, meaning this is an allow. This is an allowance. We get to allow. There are things that say, let no man that we talked about, you know, with the book of Colossians. And here he's saying, let. This is a good thing to allow in your life. What do you allow? Be willing to listen before you speak. He says right there, what does he say? Let every man be swift to hear. Listen first. Listen first. Not only listen to the situation of the other people that are involved, but listen to what the Word of God says first. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Make sure your heart is tuned to that. And go, I think I'm going to not say something. I'm going to, I'm going to refrain. Cause maybe now is not the right time. I'm going to wait a moment. I'm going to, you know, it could be a situation where somebody's given an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit convict them and they make, the, you know, he makes the change. Sometimes people are so apt to try to do the work of the Holy Spirit that they want to convict the person. Not our job to convict. That's Holy Spirit and Him alone. 
And he does a far better job than we ever do. Far better job. We just, let's just, let's just put it in, in, in terms that we understand. We don't convict, we guilt trip. <laughs> that's how, that's our form of conviction. That should not be the case. We have to understand that it starts off with this how to, the willingness to listen, and the willingness to refrain. The willingness to, if you will, exhibit control and mortify our members, specifically our tongue, our heart, and our minds. And that's where it begins. Now, Lord willing, next week we'll get into this a little bit more, take a look at a couple more verses about, uh, you know, this being swift to hear. Uh, there's a couple of passages I want to cover before we get into this. But, you know, we're also going to start talking about the wrath of man. And again, he says very clearly, the wrath of man does not work righteousness. And it's interesting to note that God exhibits a lot of wrath. And he exhibits a lot of wrath to sin. But there's a passage that really sticks out where he talks about the, his wrath is against all ungodliness and righteousness. Why is that? Because his wrath is purposed to bring men to repentance. Our wrath just, just amplifies the situation and makes things ten times worse. And we'll find out more about that, Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and pray. We'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity to study here. Lord, I just I thank you for the book of James and the application that we can find in it and how it be, teaches us as believers what our responses should be, how we can eliminate the double-mindedness, and how we can begin to move that lust out of there, all because of your light and your word of truth. And Lord, I pray that we would just uh, have a desire to continue to learn from your scripture as we read it day to day and as we use it to, to uh, make decisions and uh, judgments in our life that would be pleasing and honoring unto you, I pray, Lord, you just continue to use your Holy Spirit to speak to us so that we can do that. And show us you know, where we're wrong and show us what the right path is. And if we're on the right path, show us that we're on the right path. And again, Lord, I just thank you so much. For all the work that you do for us and everything that is a blessing, all of the good gifts that come from above, I pray, Lord, that we would just keep that in mind as we go through the rest of this week. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here. pray you take us home safely tonight. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.